Good afternoon. 11 o'clock, come on now. Good afternoon. Last week, there was a series that started called More. Uh, today, we'll be in part two of that series uh, titled Save More, except we're going to talk about less so that you can do more. Um, I'm going to start with a passage in the Bible uh, that is a strange passage or was a strange passage to me for a long time because it seems to be a little bit contradictory to A, the effect, and secondly, this message. But we find a passage in the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. We'll be reading out of the New Century Version. Then Jesus told this story. There was a rich man who had some land which grew a good crop. So the guy's land produced a lot, which in those days that meant money. He thought to himself, he thought to himself, I want you to write a note and tell yourself, be careful what you think to yourself. Matter of fact, say it out loud. Be careful what you think to yourself. He thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place to keep all my crops. In other words, I have too much stuff. Then he said, again, be careful what you tell yourself. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and other goods. Then I can say to myself, I have, enough, I have enough good things stored to last many years. Rest, eat, drink, and enjoy life. But God said to him, foolish man, tonight your life will be taken from you. So who will get those things you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for those who store up things for themselves and are not rich toward God. When I was about three years old, I was living in Puerto Rico. Um, one of the things that you do as a pastor's kid is that you go visit people because, as you parishioners know, <laughs> people got issues and you got to go see them sometimes, right? So... Uh, one of my least favorite things to do, least favorite things to do, was to have to leave my house on a Sunday afternoon after we went to three services before our night service, because we had a night service too, and have to go visit people on a Sunday. So my parents decided we're going to go do this visit. So before we leave the house, like any responsible parent, they made sure I ate. So we ate, we were full, we went to go visit these people. We get to their house, and, you know, being hospitable people they go hey by the way we have some chinese rice do you guys want to eat of course you know my parents being parents thinking we just ate it was like a 15 minute drive they're like he ain't hungry so they said no no he didn't. we ate and me being a kid seeing the chinese and you know like when it's really hot like when it's nice hot and you see the steam coming out from the box, you know, you're like, ooh, sweet Lord. 
and it was a special fried rice. I used to eat meat back then. I don't eat so much meat, but it was a special fried rice. So I just smelled that thing, and I'm like, yeah, I want some. Of course, you know, my parents weren't going to there, but I ate the rice. I paid for it later. And then you ask yourself, well, why did I want the rice? I had just eaten food. My mom cooks pretty good. So it wasn't like it was like I was like deceived by food. It was like I had just eaten. I was full. Yet when I saw that rice, I wanted it. Even though I didn't really need it because I had just eaten In this passage, here we're talking about a series of saving more, and yet we just read about Jesus essentially saying it was wrong for the guy to save more. Doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. Like, is Jesus against us having possessions? Is it ungodly to obtain possessions or want them? Is Jesus against saving? If so, many of us are right along with that because we don't save a thing. <laughs> We're like, oh, yeah, I'm with the Lord. He said don't save nothing. Don't worry about today or tomorrow, how you eat. Just, just, let's just go with it. Is enjoyment a bad thing? The dude was like, yo, let's party it up. Let's, oh, let's, let's eat. Let's drink. Let's be merry. Are all these things bad? See, the issue was not the what, but the why. It wasn't the what, it was the why. Because the context to that story, we find in the verses that precede those verses. It's the context to that. If you roll a little bit back to verses 13 through 15, we find the context. Jesus was in front of a crowd, speaking to a crowd. Then one from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? <clears throat> and he said to them, Take heed. And beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So, after stating that, then Jesus says the parable that he, the story he tells. The issue that Jesus was pointing out was not possessions in themselves, but when we covet those possessions. Jesus was pointing to our reasons for wanting to possess more and to have more, not just the fact that we can have more. One of the problems we have is like we, we make decisions, especially financial, but not only financial, but we make decisions only based on wanting more for us. We decide what house that we want based on that. We decide the education that we want to pursue based on that. We decide what job to take based on that. 
We decide what churches to attend to based on that. And we don't always consider what's best for the kingdom of God in those decisions that we're making. And in that sense, we're just like fool from this passage. See, because coveting is being dissatisfied with what God provides you. When we're not okay with what God gave us and we want something we see someone else have. Coveting is when we're dissatisfied with what God provides us. And you know, God wrote these rules. Some of you may have heard of them. They're called the Ten Commandments. If you haven't heard about it, that's it came from the Bible, by the way. From God, just, just in case. And one of those commandments, one of those 10 rules, speaks about coveting. And we find this in the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. And for us who may not understand the value of a servant, well, I'm sure all of us probably understand the value of a servant if we have one, but we may not understand the value of an ox or a donkey. These were the means of wealth and transportation in those days. So if we replace donkey with car, and we replace ox with job or career, and we reread this verse, then we could see that when we covet someone's house, their wife, their job, their career, their car, or anything that is theirs, it's kind of not a good thing. So, is God saying that I can't desire anything? I can't want anything? The thing is that there's a thin line between desiring and coveting. It's a really thin line. When we want something, we can control the desire. But in coveting, the desire controls you. Wanting is okay. Coveting is not. When we covet, it can lead us to want abundance of things, but it leads us to poverty in God. So abundance can be ungodly. Having a bunch of things can be ungodly. Money, possessions, etc. When we lay up treasures for ourselves, when we're selfish, greed, when all we care about are things that are just earthly possessions, 
when we covet what others have, we're telling God that what he has given us is not enough. Matter of fact, like, sometimes, like, we think God is a genie. I watched Aladdin, the remake, when it came out. I, I kind of like the cartoon better. Just that's my personal opinion. But maybe just because I'm old or getting older. <laughs> kind of still like the cartoon better. But the movie was all right. The best thing about the movie was the songs, though. I, I do got to give them the songs. Arabian Nights, like Arabian Day. That was dope. What was the other one? Oh, You Never Had a Friend Like Me? Oh, that was a dope song. Yes. Sorry. <laughs> so watching the Aladdin movie, and it's interesting because I'm like thinking, man, you know, many people think about God that way. Like, God is this genie, and, you know, we have some requirements that we can meet, and then we can ask him our wishes. Like, we find a genie. Except that our genie looks like a book <laughs> and, you know, with words in it. And so we think, you know, I'll read a couple of these words, and, you know, I'll say a couple of prayers, and I'll attend church exactly two hours a week. And if I do all of that, then I get my wishes. Apparently, we get more than three because we ask God for a lot more than that. In Aladdin, the genie gives three wishes, and we apparently believe God has unlimited wishes, but we still think he's a genie. And we think, well, if I do these things, you know, if I rub the lamp, if I pray hard enough, if I read just the right amount of verses, make sure I highlight them in my Bible app so other people can see that I'm reading the verses, and, you know, and I post a couple of pictures of an Instagram of Bible verses that I read or maybe didn't read but just thought were cool to look on Instagram. Then if I do enough of those things, then I can ask God for my wishes and he'll give me my wishes. This is how a lot of people look at God. Worst of all, this is how a lot of Christians look at God. Because, you know, he's the genie in the bottle. Christina Aguilera reference. You remember that? What happened to her? Yeah. <laughs> and they're like oh, oh because you know it's convenient to serve God because you know if I serve God he's gonna do everything that I want you know like a lot of people wonder you know I don't know like uh, you know I don't want why it makes sense to serve God because look you know I serve God and my friend she doesn't and she a heathen but look she got a new car she got this and she got that and he got that or whatever like okay was that the deal? Like, you accept Jesus, and now all your problems go away, and you automatically get rich, and, you know, somebody magically pays off your mortgage, and, you know, somebody shows up to your doorstep with a brand new car of your choice blank and gives it to you because now you're serving God. Is that the way it works? Because, you know, that's the genie in the bottle idea. But this is how we think about God. And so we think that we deserve the things that we ask for, simply because we're asking for them and because we want them. But the reason that we want them is usually not for anything beneficial. It's usually because it gives a certain status against other people, which means we're coveting what they want. And at the end, that's wrong. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, the Bible says a little something about this. 1 Timothy 6, 5. And constant quarrels from those who have evil minds and have lost the truth. Wait, those who have evil minds and have lost the truth. He wasn't talking about unsaved people. He was talking about 
people in the church to the pastor of the church. This is what the context of this passage is. They think that serving God is a way to get rich. Oh, whoa, hold up. What? Yeah, their thoughts were, well, if we serve God, then we'll get these things. So it makes sense to serve God so that I can get those things. Prosperity gospel preaches some of these things, unfortunately. You know, if, if you pray right now and you buy this book or this bank blanket or you give $1,000, God is going to give you back $100. The blanket one is a trip. Reverend Ike, remember that? Reverend Ike. If you bought his special coin, special coin, anointed by the Lord, then these blessings will come unto you. So you could just be a heathen, though, and just buy the coin, though, and that's it. And then God got you. Like, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, you know, the, the, the history of uh, humanity has taught us that that doesn't work. But apparently some people haven't read their history, so they still do it. They bought the coin. Here's what happened. If you buy the coin, Reverend Ike gets rich. And you may or may not. <laughs> <laughs> Just like before you bought the coin. <laughs> but Reverend Ike, well, he got rich for sure. For sure with a bunch of them coins. That was a blessing with his name on it for sure. Them checks. Them checks had his name on it all the way. <laughs> Reverend Ike Ministries. Yeah, he wore all white with white shoes. Why you got to wear white shoes, though? That's the part I don't get. Why, why the white shoes? <laughs> but like nurse shoes. You know the old school nurse shoes? Why do nurses wear them shoes? They look weird. <laughs> My mom used to have those. She used to be a nurse, by the way. And I used to think, why are they wearing these shoes? Like, are they comfortable? I don't know. Not really. But some people think this is uh, serving God is the way to get rich. Serving God is the way that I get the things that I want. If I serve God, then I'm going to get those things that I want. Except that the things that I want, I'm actually coveting because God hasn't decided to give them to me. And maybe he has, but my reasoning for wanting them is wrong. So therefore, he's not going to give them to me. Because I'm asking for the wrong reasons. Ooh. Wow. So abundance can be ungodly when our reasons for abundance are wrong. But abundance can also be godly. If we use our abundance for the glory of God. We can use our possessions to benefit God's kingdom. And then store our treasures in heaven. So here's the question. Who's willing to increase their abundance and increase their giving in proportion to their abundance, but leave their lifestyle the same? Except that we're conspicuous consumers. We want more so we can acquire more. Well, you know, if I had an extra 20 grand, that other job's going to pay me. I'll buy myself a better car. And maybe I'll buy a house or fix my house or get another house. Or I could finally get me the thing that I wanted, the purse, the car, the, the hat, the car, the clothes, whatever. How many of us think, you know what, if I get that extra 20, how could I invest that into the kingdom to do more for the kingdom? How many of us think about that first? 
Oh, because hmm. we think it's more important to store earthly treasures than it is to store treasures in heaven. The issue is that contentment, contentment, which is the opposite of coveting, contentment is being satisfied with what God provides for you. It's being satisfied. It's being satisfied in every circumstance. There's a famous verse that a lot of you, a lot of us use. I've seen it posted I don't know how many times in my life. But we use wrong. I'm going to give you the context to it. And this is going to change your outlook on this verse. And you may not want to use it again in this context. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I know how to live when I am poor, and I know how to live when I have plenty. I have learned the secret, the secret. What is the secret? Write that word down. Just, what's the secret of being happy at any time, everything that happens? When I have enough to eat and when I go hungry, when I have more than I need and when I do not have enough. What is the secret? Here's the secret, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This verse is so misquoted because it is used in the context of a lot of things, except that the context of this verse had specifically to do with money. Oh, oh, wow. The verse was specifically saying, what is the secret to being happy when you have and when you do not have? The secret is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret. So if I'm going to be content with my circumstances... Even though those circumstances could be bad... Or I'm going to be content with not having, and that doesn't feel good, but I got to be content. Then I must be content with his presence as the thing that I want. The secret is I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The question is, are we content with Christ? Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Or is it Jesus with an asterisk and a footnote on the bottom because he's not enough? I fear that in the age we're in today, many believers have Jesus with an asterisk. Jesus, but. Jesus, comma, semicolon, nonetheless. Not Jesus, period. Jesus, but. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but. Lord, I trust you, but. Lord, I believe in you, nonetheless. Oh. 
So is Jesus enough or is he not enough? Can we be content with his presence? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, he, capital H-E, he, meaning Jesus, he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But yet, Jesus is not enough? Huh. Our problem with wanting more is that we have defined that wrong. Jesus is the more. He is the more. When we want more, what wanting more should look like is wanting more Jesus. That's what it should look like. Jesus is over everything and is in him everything. So we should want more of him if we want everything. Except that we settle for less when we could have more. Or we settle for less and he could give us more. And so in our search for more, we get less. We want more, but we don't get the more. So in our wanting more, we get less. Just like the rich fool in the parable. He wants more. I have so much. Let me store more things. But they weren't making him rich in God. How do you get rich in God? How do you get rich in God? Because if the rich man who had possessions, everything he did was not leading him to getting rich in God, then how do we get rich in God? It's a fair question. We have to give to him the things that belong to him. You know, Revelation, the book of Revelation is, is the least read book of all the Bible. Statistically, which is weird, right? I, I'm not sure why. I think people are afraid of the book. I think the, the things revealed in it are, 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 people are afraid. But it's interesting because if you're a believer especially if you're dealing with circumstances on earth that don't match what the kingdom of God looks like or should look like, you should especially read Revelation because the end of the story, at the end of the story, we win. <laughs> like the end of the movie, like if you saw, if you read the script, you would be like, oh, cool. So at the end of the day, no matter what happens in the rest of the movie, we win. So it's interesting that we don't read it enough, but there's a phenomenal 
passages, a bunch of phenomenal passages in Revelation, but one that, that gives us an idea of, of who we're really dealing with. And this is found in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 12. And, and the context is the following. The previous to this verse, what is happening? What is happening is that all of the heavenly host, angels, archangels, cherubim, and all of the people of the earth that were written in the book of life, all the believers, everybody, the 24 elders, you got to read the rest of the story, you'll get that, are all, all here. And what is happening in this scene? Then they all are saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The Lamb, for those of you who don't know, is Jesus. Just in case you missed that part. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And what I find interesting is that these are all the things that we covet. These are the things that we covet. We covet power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. These are the things that we covet. How do we know? How many of us feel good when, you know, we want a certain place, certain position at work, in church, in society, with our families, and someone else has that position? Someone else is given the place that you wanted. Oh, how do we feel about that? How many of us be like, oh, bless you. I'm so glad that you got it and really mean it and really mean it and mean it. <laughs> we want honor and glory. Yes, we want blessing because if you say you don't want blessing, get the heck out of here then. <laughs> these are the things that we covet. We covet these things. And yet, the only one worthy of these things is the lamb. Huh. So let me get this straight. The things that I would want, only Jesus is worthy. But yet, this same Jesus, the one worthy of these things, that's what he did. He said, you know, I'm worthy of all these things. But I will give all of this up so that I can become a man. I will humble myself to become a man, to die for you, and make you a co-heir of these things. Huh. So we covet the things that only Jesus is worthy of. But if we went after Jesus he would make us co-heir of the things we already covet. If I didn't know better, I'd say that we're stupid. And I know better, so we are stupid. Because the things that we want, the things that we desire, if they were just desires and they weren't coming out of coveting, we could find them in the very one that we're forsaking to seek those things. So instead of seeking Jesus more 
We're seeking the things that he has and belong to him anyway. I think that the challenge of the believers today, the church today, the challenge with humanity and in our transcendental conflict, the, the things that are beyond us about the future, about eternity, the challenge is, can we be content with the presence of Jesus being enough? Can we be content with that? Are we okay that if all we have is Jesus and nothing else, that is more than enough? In another occasion, the disciples of Jesus, his followers, his closest followers, had a similar concern as the other people in this story. And they asked Jesus a question about similar things. Jesus made a reference to how difficult it is for people to get to heaven. Um, there was a young, rich ruler that approached And he tells the Lord, he asked him, Jesus, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus responds by referencing those Ten Commandments we mentioned earlier. He says, oh, well, follow all the commandments. And the young ruler says, oh, no, no, no. I have followed the commandments my whole life. Before I was born, I was following the commandments, Lord. I've been, I, I haven't strayed in any way. Any way. And Jesus said, that's true. You're right. You have not. Jesus, who knows the heart, who knows the mind, who knows everything, tells the guy, you're right. You followed every single commandment, dude. You, you, you're good. Except, except this one thing you must do. Sell your possessions and come follow me. The Bible then tells us that the young, rich ruler left sad because he had many possessions. What happens is that in between the lines there, he didn't leave sad because he had possessions per se. He left sad because he wasn't willing to give up his possessions to follow Jesus. But yet, he's following all the rules. He, he literally followed all the rules his whole life. But how come that was still not okay? What was it about what was Jesus trying to teach us that it wasn't okay just to follow the rules? The issue that I have with many believers is that in our pursuit of Christ, we think that our religion of Christianity is enough. And it's not our religion that it's enough. It's our life in Christ that needs to be enough. What does that mean? Coming to church on Sunday, reading your 22 and a half verses per week, praying your five hours, six hours, seven hours of prayer. Those are not the things 
that Jesus is after for the sake of those things, those things are the things that should be transforming our heart with, with what Jesus is after. The, the shock, the shock of people in Jesus' day and even today is that it's not about the actions that change our behavior alone. It is about our hearts being transformed and then our behavior is changing. So many people think, well, you know, if I just stop doing these things, then that's what God wants from me. Well, yes. But first, first, God wants your heart. First. Without your heart, it's pointless. So when we seek to save more, having more, and keeping more, that only serves God if our hearts are going to use the more or want the more for the purposes of God. If we're not doing it for the purposes of God, then having more means absolutely nothing. Giving more also means absolutely nothing. Making more means absolutely nothing. So here's the question to ask ourselves today. Do I want more of Jesus or do I want more stuff? Our challenge is a challenge of our hearts. It's not about the what, it's the why. It's the why. Why? Am I pursuing God? Or am I just pursuing things? Am I doing things out of obligation? Or am I doing them because my heart is in it? God doesn't want empty sacrifice. What is empty sacrifice? Getting up on a day that you should be, you could go to brunch, hang out, chill, eat something, and come here. That's a sacrifice. But it's empty if your heart ain't in it. It's empty. Oh, yeah, I'm serving God because I'm doing this and that and the other. That's cool. That's good. But it's empty if our hearts aren't in it. It doesn't mean anything. challenges are we content with him can we be content in his presence is Jesus enough bend your feet if your struggle has been with replacing the presence of Jesus with the presence of things, even things that are supposed to look like Jesus, then today I challenge you to put Jesus back in the center. If you've never put Jesus in the center 
and you've been living your life for other things, then today I challenge you to make Jesus the center of your life. When we stand, and we will, each one of us, stand before the throne of God when our life is over, when we have our whole life before us, all of our actions, all of the decisions we've made, every single thing that's happened in our life, can we say that we settled for less or we accepted the more? So this afternoon, I want to give you an opportunity for us to pray with you if you're struggling with putting Jesus in the center. Whether that's a first-time decision, whether this has been, you've, you've unfocused, lost focus of him being the more. Or whether the desires of life have gotten in the way of a passion for Christ that was there, a flame that now has diminished. We'd like to pray for you today. If that's you, you can come to the front like, you can raise your hand where you're at if you prefer. But if we want to pray that we understand that his presence is what we need. That his presence is what gives us more. The worship team sings. We'll give you a full moment if you want to come up, and then we'll pray. <laughs> 